The Retrogasmic Podcast is brought to you by Rosemary.nz, a one-woman business that designs and makes beautiful hot rod, rock and roll, and kiwiana-themed men's shirts. Hop on to Rosemary.nz and see the vast selection of fabric choices and designs. That's Rosemary.nz. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another show. I'm Didi Deluxe and you are listening to the Retrogasmic Podcast. Uh, we're going to kick off with this little clip to give you a hint on what we've got in store for you today. Stand by for action. We are about to launch Stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. can happen in the next half hour indeed it can that was of course the phenomenal intro music to the tv series stingray Um, today we're going to be looking at the work and the lives of jerry and sylvia anderson inventors of super marionation which uh, most of you will know as the the puppet based science fiction tv series which kind of ruled the airways throughout the 60s and the 70s and uh, if you count Terra Hawks, the early 80s. I went to a building school. Um, I was very good at plastering, and I was going to be a studio plasterer. But I suppose, fortunately, uh, the line burnt my arms. I lost the skin on both arms, and my doctor said, there's no way you can be a plasterer. And so I had to become a film producer instead. (laughs) (laughs) So Jerry Anderson was almost a plasterer. If you hadn't had that terrible allergy to the lime in the plaster, we would never have had Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet and Joe 90 and all those great shows. 
His first show was um, in the late 50s, 57, 58, and was uh, called The Adventures of Twizzle. And it was a series for young children about a doll with the ability to twizzle his arms and legs to greater length. Yep, that was a show. It was uh, Anderson's first work with puppets and the start of his long and successful collaborations with puppeteer Christine Glanville, uh, special effects genius Derek Meddings and uh, composer-arranger Barry Gray. Anderson followed this up with uh, the second commissioned show, which was Torchy the Battery Boy. Uh, depicted the adventures of uh, a boy doll who had a battery inside him and a lamp in his head. And uh, uh, his master, Mr. Bumbledrop, who was voiced by the wonderful Kenneth Connor, uh, the Carry On film star. Um, yeah, it was a bit of an odd show. That he would kind of take off in a rocket at the beginning of each show and, and stuff would happen. But it was, it was neither science fiction nor a kind of preschool show, but a bit oddly placed. It did OK, but it wasn't massively successful. Ooh, I feel retrogasmic. During the filming of Twizzle, Anderson started an affair with the secretary, Sylvia Tham, and this ultimately led to him leaving his wife and children. Once the dust had settled, Sylvia and Jerry got married and she became Sylvia Anderson and the, the great partnership was born. So the original puppets for Twizzle were paper mache heads and they were basically just hanging on one string and worked by the puppeteers in front of a, a, a painted background. But he was continually trying to make things more realistic and uh, do what he always wanted to do, which was basically make films. I started shooting puppets like one would shoot live action. You know, three-sided sets. Uh, the operators were working overhead from the bridge so that they didn't stand behind a, a plane backing. And... I, I was really trying to say to the industry, look, I can make live-action films. And what did they say? They said, doesn't this guy make good puppet films? Let's give him some more. And I, I, I just got typecast and trapped. The next show that uh, Jerry and his team were involved in was called Four Feather Falls. And it was uh, produced by Granada Television and based on an idea by Barry Gray, who was the composer and um, orchestral man. And he also wrote all the show's music and went on to do lots of uh, lots of music for the other shows as well. This is the first series to use an early version of Anderson's super marionation puppetry, which had the, the moving mouths and the more realistic kind of look and feel. There was 39 13-minute episodes produced. Um, I think it was the end of the 1960, early 1961, and it was set in a fictional Kansas town of Four Feather Falls. Tex Tucker was the sheriff. Um, he was given four feathers by an Indian chief and uh, it allowed his guns to kind of swivel and fire on their own without being touched when he was in danger. And he could speak to his horse and his dog. So it's another kind of kid's show and not really sci-fi. And again, it did okay, but it didn't tear up any trees. Super Flying through the air, it travels in space or under the sea, and it can journey anywhere. Supercar, supercar, it travels on land or 
roams the skies through the heavens mighty rage it's mercury man and everyone cries it's the marvel of the age supercar 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 I love a good theme song that's got a whistling solo in it. Can't beat it. Supercar. That was their kind of first proper science fiction show. They made 39 episodes between 1961 and 1962, and it was the Anderson team's kind of first proper sci-fi show. Jerry Anderson always had a problem with the way the puppets walked. He absolutely hated it, in fact. So basing a series around a car meant that the lead character could be largely sitting down most of the time, which is kind of clever. And it's also got the uh, the first time we see the, the classic Jerry Anderson um, launch scene. Every single show he did, um, Captain Scarlet, um, Fireball XL5, Thunderbirds, they all had the classic scene where the doors or the the hidden space would open and the rockets would fire and the ship or the craft would take off and it became a real Jerry Anderson kind of uh, thing. The vocalist on the supercar theme tune was a guy called Mike Sams of the Mike Sams Singers. They... uh, they did lots of stuff. They, they did the Stingray theme, of course, um, but they also featured on Tom Jones's Green Green Grass of Home and Delilah, Tears by Ken Dodd, uh, a handful of songs by Tommy Steele and Walking Back to Happiness with uh, Helen Shapiro. They were kind of the go-to middle-of-the-road close harmony singing group back then. They also provided the uh, the vocal hits on the theme tune to the good the bad and the ugly the the famous spaghetti western by ennio morricone if you can uh, picture it you can hear the ah, ah, bits <laughs> and that was them so if you sit down any real thunderbirds or stingray fan and ask them who the genius behind the shows were sure people will say jerry or sylvia anderson but uh, quite often you hear the name Derek Meddings mentioned. He was the model designer and the, the special effects guru that basically made the whole thing come to life. Thunderbirds are go. It was one of those exciting series for me because it involved a lot of miniature effects. And the only way the film could, or the series could be actually put over was to put in a lot of effects, miniature effects, with the Thunderbirds flying and crashing and the various things they did. Off 
the four film stages used for shooting Thunderbirds, two are for the special effects department under the inventive control of director Derek Meddings. How do you evolve the futuristic designs of your models? Well, usually I just start doodling on a pad and uh, whatever happens, uh, that's usually what we get. I really was given freedom. I could do anything I wanted to, really, as long as it um, sort of didn't mess up the story. And Thunderbird 2, I think, was probably, as far as I'm concerned, was one of the most successful um, vehicles in the series. And people often ask me, how did I come up with the ideas for these various craft? I used to look through a lot of magazines on aircraft and vehicles, and you can't help sometimes from, uh, you know, like stealing. If you see a vehicle and it's got really good tracks on it, like a tank, you think, well, I'll incorporate that into the vehicle and I'll put wheels on it. <clears throat> it was like um, the pink Rolls Royce. When I had to design this uh, Rolls Royce, I was trying to think of a way of making it different. And the only thing I could come up with was that it had four wheels on the front and just two on the back. And all I really did was reverse the sort of uh, chassis of a lorry. It was not done for any technical or any reason that it would hold the road better. It was just for its appearance. I used to sit down in the evenings and I'd, st I'd start with a blank piece of paper and I would just doodle until I came up with a shape which I thought was um, pleasing uh, and also that it looked good when it was flying. And then, of course, the problem, having designed all these craft, I was then responsible for uh, doing the effects and making them fly. And so another scene in the adventures of International Rescue is shot at the AP Film Studios in Slough. When we started off, we did the first one, which was the aircraft in danger coming into land. That particular sequence I thought was really very ambitious, probably one of the most ambitious ones we did. The reason for that was that you've got this aircraft coming in and you're following it, and it's got to land on these three strange little vehicles. And these vehicles were controlled by um, wires. And occasionally, of course, the wires would break and the vehicle would go hurtling out of picture because the road was running this way and the front wires would break and it would go screaming back out of picture. And we had this happen on one occasion right in the middle of this uh, quite exciting sequence. So I had to, it looked so good that I had to devise a method or a way of losing this particular vehicle. Fire flash, overshoot. We did a, a cutting shot and we saw it careering off the, the edge of the runway and crashing into another parked aeroplane and blowing up. Sorry, Scott. Radio fault again in number three control system. Something else that we did, we, we had these little Jetex motors that we used to put in underneath and light the fuse and somebody used to just put a little layer of dust on the roller road. And if you look at the series now, you'll see that every vehicle, doesn't matter what road it drives down, there's a great cloud of dust behind it, <laughs> even in a main street. What an absolute legend. So let's, uh, let's have some music. This is another song written by the, the very talented Barry Gray. And this was actually quite a, a big hit as a pop song in the UK when it was first released. This is the theme music from Fireball XL5. I wish I was a spaceman, a 
Fireball XL5, uh, it ran for one series, uh, I think there was 39 episodes, all shot on a 35mm black and white film. It was shown in the States and was only only ran for one series, even though it was quite successful. From then on, uh, Jerry and Sylvia moved to colour, everything they made was in colour. So Fireball XL5 was set between the years 2062 and 2063, which I always thought was very specific considering it was set so far in the future, and featured the adventures of Fireball XL5, the spaceship commanded by Colonel Steve Zodiac of the World Space Patrol. The crew included the lovely Dr. Venus, who was Doctor of Space Medicine. I'm not quite sure how that's any different from normal medicine, but uh, obviously it's medicine in space. I guess the navigator and engineer Professor Matthew Matic, Matt, Matt, Matic, Mathematic, yeah, and uh, the co pilot that was a kind of uh, fairly average robot who uh, used to kind of say on our way home all the time, and that was pretty much it. That was the only character or regular character in uh, an Anderson series that was actually voiced by Jerry. Um, he used one of those artificial larynx that you often see if uh, if people have had throat cancer or something like that. And it basically works on a, a microphone and a vibration system. One of the coolest things about uh, Fireball XL5 was the fact that they managed to do the, the space science fiction thing, but without making any effort whatsoever to be kind of realistic. Viewers were informed that the ship's rocket motors were powered by a Newtomic reactor and that uh, XL5 could travel safely at speeds of up to Space Velocity 7, which enabled it to reach the outlying star systems uh, within a few months. Uh, The crew never wore spacesuits. Instead, they took oxygen pills, (laughs) which is uh, very handy because if you're putting a space helmet on a puppet, you can't put a string on its head. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was light-hearted, uh, but it was it was good fun. Recommended.
Tempest, his loyal lieutenant phones, and of course the beautiful Aquamarina, who somehow managed to breathe underwater and swim just by flicking her tiny wooden feet, even though her absolutely huge head was almost as big as her entire body. We're talking about Stingray, of course, made in 1964 for one million pounds. Uh, entirely in colour, the first British TV series ever to be made entirely in colour and uh, specifically aimed at the American market. It was the first of the Supermarination series, I think the third time they used the uh, motorised mouths, but the first of the Supermarination series whose puppet characters had multiple heads so that you could emphasise the different facial expressions and emotions. The underwater scenes were filmed dry by shooting through a very thin aquarium wall and it gave the impression of being underwater. It's often regarded by critics as being one of the more mature uh, scripts and storylines because there's obvious parallels with the, the Cold War and Stingray's battle with the Titans. So Stingray was filmed in uh, in Slough, but this was the first time that uh, they used their their brand new um, converted warehouse studio in Stirling Road, having moved from the old Slough Trading Estate. Um, they had two shooting stages, one for shooting puppets and one for special effects, and that allowed for two episodes to be filmed at the same time, which greatly increased their uh, their production capabilities. Each show took an average of 11 days filming uh, for the puppets and about five and a half to six days for special effects. (laughs) 
Bones? Hey, where's Bones? Where is he? Why don't you answer me? You're wasting your time, Turanian. She cannot speak. None of her race know the luxury of words. She is my slave. And you are my prisoner. Captain Troy Tempest of the World Equinaut Security Patrol. You and your crew have been found guilty. It is decreed that you are doomed to die. You will be taken to the underwater prison of Aquatraz, where sentence will be carried out. Oh no, whatever you do, don't send me to Aquatraz. Yeah, they uh, spent a lot of time thinking about that, obviously. So, um, yeah, Stingray, kind of um, regarded as, as one of the big three of the Super Mario Nation. So Captain Scarlet, Thunderbirds and Stingray. Uh, it's not as ambitious and as technically clever as Thunderbirds and it's not as dark and, and kind of uh, sophisticated as Captain Scarlet. So kind of positioned in the middle um brilliant entertainment i highly recommend if you if you're not a fan or, or you're not aware of this stuff check it out there's lots on youtube grab yourself a beer it is hugely entertaining we can't do a feature on jerry and sylvia anderson's shows without mentioning the uh the late great barry gray He was a musician and a composer. He had his own orchestra, the Barry Gray Orchestra. And uh, he basically did most of the music for for the shows. Uh, His style was characterised by lots of brass and percussion. He was a great fan of creating little themes and motifs. So in Thunderbirds, each machine had its own kind of uh, little theme and its own little riff. Joe Ninety had his own theme and... uh, the size of the orchestra, I mean, I think he had a 40 or 42-piece orchestra which dwarfed what people would use in, in normal TV shows. It was real big production stuff, but he worked very, very efficiently and he wrote and arranged and conducted and produced most of the music himself, so it kept the cost down. A very, very talented guy and uh, regarded as um, as a, a great musician. So let's have a listen to a piece of, a piece of music Barry Gray wrote and produced for the Stingray series. This is a piece called March of the Oysters, which was from the Stingray episode, The Secret of the Giant Oyster. And just have a careful listen to this. This stands up on its own against any contemporary piece of classical music. It's astonishing.
brings us to the end of part one of our Jerry and Sylvia Anderson special. We'll be back next show and we'll be looking at Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet and, of course, Joan Knight. Ah, retrogasmic. And don't forget, if you're in the market for a handmade custom-designed bowling shirt, hop on over to our show sponsor, rosemary.nz. We'll see you next show. Retro.